one aspect of musical life in a university is auditions, and so I asked John what he looks for in a student who is auditioning for a spot in his studio at Indiana University. And finally, at the end of our conversation, we talk a little bit about John's playing career. So let's add, add just a little bit of levity here, uh-huh. um, which is um, over your 30 years, you've had to do countless auditions uh, for uh-huh. people who entrance uh, want to get entrance into the school. Have you ever had like strange things happen? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or like where, where students will play bizarre pieces or... Um. I'm trying to or think. When you, do you yeah, have to do yeah. like juries also? Yeah. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, we don't do is because the school is so large and everything else. Uh, we don't have near students don't play juries every semester at okay. IU. So we don't have a tremendous number of juries. It's basically, they just play juries their freshman year, one semester in their freshman year. And then they have an upper divisional, uh, quote, barrier exam in their sophomore year. And then the rest is recitals. So we don't hear juries every semester. Um, if we want a student to play a jury, we can require them to but teachers tend not to do that very often unless they feel it's absolutely necessary you know a lot of times students that are looking to school will say when when i come to audition what are you looking for what do you what do you want to hear in somebody and i go well i said the number one thing for me is it's just sound i want to hear just a beautiful sound i want to hear play with a great sound um i go that's more important to me than what you're playing or if you're missing notes or anything else i'm going if you have a really good counts sound concept and you're basically you know not that it's perfect or everything else but you've got that sense going on i go i listen for sound more than everything else because if the sound is there the rest of it can be easily taught and now you can work on somebody's sound as well but of course what i'm looking for is just a really good beautiful clear sound somebody's playing i go you know the other thing i tend to look at more than anything else and an audition is not what you're playing or how you're playing, but kind of the feeling I get from you as a person, you know? And, you know, if I get the sense of, is this somebody I think I'd really like to work work with? And I go, you know, obviously people are nervous and everything else, but you can tell a lot, you know, and there have been any number of times. Uh, I remember, you know, a couple times over the years where someone would come in and really play terrific. And I go, wow, this person can really play. And, we would talk to him a little bit, and I'd get a vibe from him going, yeah, no thanks. Because they were arrogant? <laughs> arrogant, or I just felt like they probably wouldn't listen, you know, or they wouldn't be that interested in, you know, I, I'm the first to say that I don't have all the answers, but if you're coming to study, you should at least listen to them, and then you can choose to ignore them if you want yeah, and sure. find your own. But there's a little bit of like, is this somebody I think I would enjoy working with? Is this person going to be a positive influence on the studio in the studio do you think I'll fit they'll fit in with the studio and there have been times where I've accepted people that I was a little bit concerned about I wasn't sure they're going to be a good fit um, usually I'll try to call somebody if I know their teacher or somebody else and talk to them and get a feel it's like okay you know I'm a little suspect can you tell me what can you tell me more about this person um, and sometimes that persuades me to, to offer them a spot and sometimes it persuades me not to um, but you know, as far as weird thing, I, I think the, the weirdest things I can just remember are the ones that kind of make me the saddest is when a student maybe has traveled a long distance to come and audition for us and walks in the door and starts playing and just really plays poorly, obviously doesn't have the skills and, and, yeah, I feel really badly they've come all this way, spent a lot of money, and somewhere along the way somebody didn't tell them that 
they weren't playing at the level they really needed to. Um, and that's we don't have a pre-screen at this point, but <clears throat> I keep thinking it, at some point that would probably be a good thing not to whittle num- the numbers down that we listen to at the live auditions necessarily, like you know, which is what a lot of schools have done. Uh, it's mainly to try to save people money when we know there's not a chance they could possibly get in. Um, That's even so, worse in Europe, actually. Is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, um, at least when I was teaching, probably now too. I mean, I had some instances where where somebody traveled from some war torn country, spent three days in a bus. Instrument was terrible, and they just didn't have any good teaching, and really weren't even close to the level. And 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 you you think if somehow you could accept them. Right. You could possibly even be saving their life. I mean, right. I, I know that yeah. sounds melodramatic, yeah. but actually yeah. it could be quite true if you're going back to a city that's being bombed, and and yet you just can't take them, and right. that's that really is, sad. That is tough. I mean, you know, you're you're gonna that's gonna be more of an issue in Europe than it is in the states, obviously. But yeah, I mean, that's uh, what a what a horrible situation to be in. And and I have to admit, you know, there there have been any number of times I've taken a player into the studio that wasn't as strong a player as people I've turned down. And it's it's usually because for some reason I've taken a liking to, liking to that student, and I just want to really help them, even if they're really struggling. Um, and you know, I'll I'll do that, and um, I don't think I've ever been disappointed when I've done that. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, that's I mean, that right? sounds like the right choice to me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's difficult, you know. I, I, and we always feel feel for you know the people who are auditioning. Um, you know, because it's it, it's not an easy situation. I mean, our auditions, because we hear so many people play, our auditions are, you know, for undergrads and master students, there's 10 minutes. You know, you have 10 minutes, basically. Now, we run over sometimes and, and everything else, but, um, you know, it's a short period of time. And, you know, there's a quite a bit of stress and everything else involved. We always try to make it as friendly as we can. But, you know, it's like it's, there's only it's so tough. much you can do. It's really tough. Yeah. yeah, it's a tough situation for people. Well, as a player, you played with with uh, a number of orchestras. Louisville, I think, you maybe started out with Nashville before yeah. Louisville. First job, correct? yeah, I was. I was. Uh, I think I was. I was twenty at the time, close to twenty one. I won a job in Nashville just kind of by accident because I went to take the audition. I ended up winning it. You know, so I was in, <laughs> in, in the middle of my undergraduate degree. Um, you know, so but you know the Nashville Symphony back when I played with it certainly is not the Nashville Symphony that of today, which is a yeah, really, really fine today. orchestra, fine orchestra. Yeah. You know, Louisville has had its ups and downs, but it's never been what I would say. It's certainly a great orchestra. You know, I, I didn't, I never got the opportunity to play any great orchestras until I got fortunate enough to be called to play extra some with Cincinnati and then Cleveland. Um, and that's when, that's when I started, went, Oh, this is what it's like playing, you know, in a great orchestra, you know? And it's like, wow, this is, you know, this is really cool. And you know, I have to, I have to say though, once again, I mean, I've had some experiences playing in those orchestras where I'm going, you know, a really great product, but I'm not enjoying this as much as I should. Now, I, should I blame the conductor or should I just blame myself in that I'm letting those things take the fun out of it for me? Um, but there's a little bit of that sense. I'm going, yeah, there is a pressure involved in playing at that high level all the time. And I'm going, um, you know, it's it's uh, I'm okay doing what I'm doing. I mean, I always, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, I, I always set out from a really young age to be principal in a in a big orchestra. 
Um, you know, when I was growing up, everybody wanted to be principal in the Chicago Symphony when Bud right. retired. Of course, you know, he didn't retire for <laughs> yeah. forever. Yeah. And who would want, I mean, if, you, if you're really smart, which mm -hmm. I was, and I mean, I, the same thing with me, um, mm -hmm. who would want to follow that, you know? Well, that's, you know. It's, it's, a, it's a losing proposition. Yeah. I remember early on, you know, before they had the first audition, even somebody said, I don't remember who it was, said, you know, you don't want to be the person to replace Bud. You want to be the person who replaces the person who replaces Bud. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be too removed. You know? Yeah, that person is very prescient. Right. But, you know, it's also one of those things that, um, you know, a, the, that was kind of always a goal for me. So I remember telling students a number of years ago, I'll, on a certain level, I always feel a bit like a failure because I never reached that goal. You know, um, and... Yet, I don't want to think of it as being a failure other than, you know, in some ways, I, when I go back now, I go, why was that really my goal? Why was that my ultimate goal? And I bet you that if, had you reached that goal, your life would not be as rich as it is now. Not talking about financially, but rich in terms of, of the quality of life. Well, one thing we know for sure is we'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, like, once again, I think a lot of it is we're all different people, and it's, it's how we deal with different situations, you know? And I am I think for me, in a lot of ways, while I love doing that and everything else, I'm not sure I deal with the situation. I think it would take a lot of enjoyment out of life and other things away from me because I would be too – I mean, we, we've both known principal players are pretty much consumed in their whole life revolves around playing those concerts and playing with the orchestra, you know, and it takes away from everything else, you know. And, um, you know, I, at one point I think I felt like that was exactly what I wanted to do, but um, over the years I'm going, I don't think that's really what I want to do. Or you have to be able to deal with the pressure and not let it get to you so it doesn't affect the other things. Now I have to I have to remember you know remember um you told me a long time ago when you when you uh did uh, had Dave Crable on your on uh, podcast. Oh and I remember uh, you, you wrote me said, you know, I said you don't have to listen to the whole thing, but let's go to the outtakes or the what whatever it's called, the last section. The bonus room. The bonus room. And yeah. and I remember so I just went straight to the bonus room. I was like, well Tony says I gotta hear that. That's yeah, where okay. I'm starting. You know, and I actually did a class later on to it because I loved Dave's take on it when you asked him about how he dealt with the pressures and everything else of playing, you know, Principal Horn in San Francisco and his response. He said, well, I, I figured out a, a method early on, which was the I don't care method. Yeah, creative <laughs> non-caring. Right. And I talk to my students about that a lot. I go, you know, the I don't care method is genius. Because it doesn't mean you don't care about the music or anything else. You just don't care about how you look, how well you do, what other people think or anything else. And then you can actually just focus on making music. I'm going, if you can, if you can have that attitude, then I think it can be a really, really successful life. I think that's a difficult, that's always been a difficult thing for me to do. Right. And so then if you, like I said, the goal is to have that kind of an attitude where, you know, your whole life doesn't resolve, revolve around the concert you're playing and how well you played everything. And Dave's, I mean, Dave's a master at that. I mean, yep. Oh yeah. Well, he's I mean, so natural as, mm -hmm. as a person. Right. And he has such a great sense of humor. Well, I think that's, like I say, if you don't have a sense of humor when you're playing in an orchestra and everything else, I think you're in for a, a kind of a rough ride because you need your sense of humor. 
you know, through the, through the good times and the bad times. If you can't see the humor in all of it, when you, whether you're being successful or if you're struggling on something, you know, you just made your, you know, life so much more miserable. I mean, you know, Bill Adam used to always talk about, you know, playing the trumpet is what we do. It's not who we are. And that's, that's really important to remember. Oh, yeah. That's really oh, yeah. important to remember. And, I mean, I have to admit, I'm, a lot of times I've been, you know, I'll say that. I'll go, yeah, I'm pretty lousy about that a lot of the time. <laughs> you know, because how I'm playing the trumpet sometimes is how I feel about myself as a person. You know, and I'm going, well, hold it. That's, that doesn't make sense. You know. When I was a student in Los Angeles, um, the first trumpet player in the L.A. Philharmonic was Robert Duvall, Bob Duvall. Um, I don't know if you – did you ever have, have a chance to meet him at all? He was the most wonderful person and the most humble person. And he's – also, I think he's the most mature trumpet player that I've ever met in that he had 0% of his ego invested in how he played the trumpet. I mean, it was really quite remarkable. And he and he really didn't get it about certain pressure things. So I remember as a student going to hear Zarathustra and and waiting by the stage door as he walked out and, and he had played it great and saying, boy, we were so nervous. And he said, he said, why? And it was not because <laughs> I was going to nail it to the wall, but right. he didn't realize that it was difficult or why? something to worry about. Right, right. Um, so, I mean, really, yeah, really different way of looking at things and absolutely mature. And I think in, in a certain way, maybe most musicians have a certain amount of immaturity that they hang on to this. Um, maybe I'm going off the ledge here. But but anyway, he's, yeah. I think an awful lot of musicians, even successful musicians, are very immature <laughs> overall. I think that's really true. I, and also they're just so self-centered, you know, yeah, about, yeah, that's about what they do, yeah. you know? And so have, he wasn't, you have to be maybe, well, you think or not? No, I don't think you do. I think you're, it's much healthier if you're not, because you realize, I mean, ultimately, you know, it's like, it's about the music. It's not about you. And so if you can keep that in mind, then the you is just a part of the whole. It's, it's just not as important. You know, you the music overall, up. you're a part of it. Yeah, yeah, you're a part of it. And and I think, you know, that's just, once again, we're talking about having a really healthy attitude. And, you know, why do some people have healthy attitudes and other people don't? You know, I mean, I don't think it's you either are born one way or the other. I think a lot of it is how you end up growing up, how you end up thinking. The people you're around, you know, I think, greatly affects, you know. I mean, everybody is differently, different, built differently. There's no doubt about that. But I think an awful lot of it is uh, I know that, you know, a lot of the things that I fought through dealing with confidence issue and nerves over the years are things that, you know, I started back when I was in junior high school. Right. Hmm, really? You know? Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, I've, you know, it's 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 been kind of continuing, you know, that uh it started way back then, and a lot of it was because the immense amount of pressure I put on myself. I don't know if it pressure came from elsewhere or not, or if it was just internal for me, but there was always, you know, I think one of the things I always struggled with was always feeling that I wasn't good enough, and it didn't matter how well I played, you know. I still wasn't good enough, and, you know, I, the quick story to me that we all look back on our careers on things that, you know, if I played in a, a brass quintet when I was in Nashville, we did all contemporary music for years. Uh, we did one uh, one recording a long time ago, and um, we had a lot of people that were really behind us, composers, said, boy, this group is really great. 
I have a bunch of recordings and stuff with the group. Uh, my friend Gil Long down in Nashville has tons of them, and he'll keep throwing them in. I don't even remember half the performances or the pieces we're playing. He'll put it in. We'll be driving someplace, and he'll put in, uh, hook it up to his iPhone and start playing. I go, damn, that group sounds really good. And I had <laughs> when I was playing, and it was like, well, it's just in Nashville. We're not like New York. We're not here. It's really, it's not really that good. It's not that strong a group. And I'm going, you know, that held us back. I mean, we were all doing a lot of other things, so I'm not sure people would take off doing it and, and spend more time trying to tour. But, you know, we had a lot of contemporary composers, including uh, Luciano Berrio, who were big supporters of the group, who wanted us to go out and do a lot more. And I'm going, you know, it's I didn't see it as good as a group. And now I listen back and I go, that was a really terrific yeah. <laughs> you know, but I just, in part because I was in it, I just didn't think it was that good. Well, boy, this has been really fun for me. I yeah. hope it's been fun for oh, you it's too. Been, it's been great. It's been great. You know, I mean, I think the, you know, like I say, we started off, you know, starting my 30th year of teaching. And I remember asking Vince Chickowitz when I was watching him teach one time, um, I asked him how he thought his teaching had changed over the years. And his answer was, he said, John, you know, I don't, I don't really think my teaching has changed that dramatically. He said, I think the thing that's happened is he said, I think I've, it's become simpler and I recognize what the issues are more quickly about what's, what's going on. Hmm. Mm -hmm. He said, I don't think I've actually changed that much. And I'm going, you know, after teaching 30 years, I think my, it, my teaching does continue to change. Um, I, I try to find ways to be better at what I'm doing and do a better job because it's much like, you know, playing the trumpet. A lot of times, um, you know, I've had some students, you know, some successful students for sure coming out. Um, I don't feel like I'm that good a teacher most of the time. Um, and, you know, that's something you kind of keep working on. I mean, I keep trying to become a better teacher and do things better. Because you can't because you can't solve problems or because of the general idea of, of leading a person down a certain path? Uh, some, sometimes, you know, I, sometimes I'm not always don't feel like I'm necessarily good leading people down the path all the way to their goals. I think I'm trying to set them on the path for them to find themselves um, and then take where they want with it. I think a lot of it is feeling like when I'm trying to work with a student and they're not getting better, that I'm not good enough at explaining and getting them to to literally get out of their own way and figure out how to become a better player themselves. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things I'm going, yeah, I, you know, I think I'm an okay teacher. Um, and I think, you know, what I've been fortunate with is, is I, I'm a firm believer in the old adage, there are no great teachers, only great students. Um, I think, you know, what you do is try to turn them in a direction, give them a point of view of how to approach music, how to approach playing the trumpet. You know, for me, it's keeping as simple as you can, focus on the goal and stuff like that. Um, and then when I don't see that working with the students, a lot of times I'm just not doing a very good job. And I'm going, I got to keep trying to find a way to be a better teacher. You know, I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but it makes me think of, of Michelangelo that he said he'd never... He never um, tried to carve a figure out of marble. He said there was a figure in the marble that he tried to release, ah, something yeah. like right, that. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I guess that's maybe like what you're talking about as a teacher, that, that there's the trumpet player there or the person there, their best person that you're just trying to release. Right. And, and I think it's also I'm not trying to get everybody to sound exactly the same way. I'm trying to get them to 
be the, the best that, that they can be in with the sound that they hear, you know, and the music that they hear. Um, I don't know. Have, have you read Mark Gould's latest book, Mark Gould on Music? Uh, I, I believe I, yes, I did. Yeah. Right, I interviewed you know. him. Uh, did you? Yeah. I'm sure you, <laughs> well, you had to edit out a certain amount of profanities and I would it was say, great. I would say, was there anything left? <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh -huh. But you know, it's, it's one of those things when I start thinking about, about the creativity and kind of like the no holds barred thinking of kind of creativity, I'm going, that's, you know, that's what everybody has to kind of find and sort out for themselves and find in themselves. I think he's really good at that with, an, has, with really good with that, a lot of students, you know, I mean, he's crazy. He's, you know, he's, he's terrifically crazy about stuff. You know, I love Mark. He's, he's one of the most interesting people I've ever met. Oh, you know? absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Um, and he's, he's very musical and just very open to literally any idea. And I think, you know, what we have to do is just try to keep opening ourselves up kind of in that same way. You know, that's a lot of a lot of crazy stories about Mark. But every time I read, I'm you know he's talking more about being creative and and you know searching out new opportunities. And I think that's you know that's really really important for our students. And he's uh, really smart. For sure. He's really he's, smart. He's really yeah. smart. Yeah, it's because he didn't major in music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You> exactly. <know? laughs> smart man. But but anyway, no, this has been really great. Anyway, yeah, really it's great. been really fun. So oh. I can't wait till the next time I'm in Bloomington and we go out and have another, another breakfast together. That's right. We definitely have to do that. <laughs>